inauguration. Nothing personal word of the day. Today is January 20th, 2021. Today is the day that the 46th president of the United States will be sworn into office exactly at noon. It's a day that a lot of people have been looking forward to. It's a day that a lot of people have been dreading. It is a day that has created over the years, over the centuries, a lot of angst. But the one thing that has stayed true is that there has always been a peaceful transition of power in the United States. And that came into question a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, specifically. And at the end, President Trump, former president, well, he's still president as I'm taping this, former, but President Trump has left the White House, has done a quick farewell address and will be heading to Palm Beach, Florida. Why? Because Florida, of course. I was thinking about the show and preparing with Coca. There's a lot of big sports news out there from George Springer signing with the Blue Jays to Patrick Mahomes and what's going to happen with him this coming Sunday in the AFC Championship game to Kyrie Irving coming back. And I want to get to all of it. But it made no sense not to put today in a bit of historical perspective. Something happens to us when we are living through history and when we're paying attention to something that maybe we didn't pay attention to pay attention to previously. It's possible that many of you have never focused on an inauguration the way people are focusing on it today. It's possible that transitions of power have happened in your lifetime and you just assumed they were peaceful and it was all green eggs and ham and everything was fine. What inauguration means is literally the definition of the word. It is that Joe Biden today will take an oath. And the oath is something that I hope that you've heard or read, but I wanted to give it to you. You don't have to swear in a Bible, by the way. That's an old wives tale. You don't have to be administered the oath by the chief justice of the Supreme Court. That's also an old wives tale. Whether John Roberts, who is the chief justice, swears in Joe Biden is not relevant. He may be, may not be. It just has to be any judge. Even a justice of the peace will do, by the way. And all you have to do as president, all you have to say is I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Upon saying that, you get the football, the nuclear football. There was a great article in the paper today that normally the outgoing president and the incoming president are in the same place. They're at the inauguration. And literally at 1159.59, the football is handed over from one president to the next. The codes that were active for the previous president get deactivated and new codes are activated. So there is no break in between. There's something called the nuclear biscuit and the nuclear football. The football is that case that you've seen in movies, that case that has the actual launch the buttons to launch. Then there's the biscuit, which actually has the authenticated codes that are needed to use the football. Well, now President 
Trump, former President Trump at that moment, will be in Florida. And so they actually will have two biscuits, two footballs, and they will deactivate Trump's biscuit and football at 1159.59. To preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, that is the meat of the oath that you are taking when you become president, that is the main job, not to raise taxes, not to cut taxes, not to build walls, not to break down walls, not to be part of a climate change group, not to be in or out of that Paris climate accord. Your main job is to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And within that Constitution, it gives you the guideline. You've got the amendments to the Constitution, the body of the Constitution, And the president, when making any decision, is supposed to keep constitutional rights and the wording of the Constitution in mind with every step he takes. Today will become the first time that a non-white man is vice president of the United States. First time in our history, a non-white man. First time it's a non-white anybody. But in fact, we have a female person of color who will be the vice president of the United States. There's been a lot of talk about the state of our country. And what's interesting to me is a a new poll was commissioned just this week or last week. What a poll means when you see polling, that doesn't mean they ask everyone. They take like a thousand people randomly. They ask them a question and then they give you the results out of a thousand people. 500 people said that the sky is blue. That means 50% of respondents in the poll believe the sky is blue. You extrapolate that to the country and all of a sudden it's 50% of Americans believe the sky is blue. Well, there's a recent study and between January 9th and January 14th of 2021, what you do is you make calls and about a thousand people were called and they were asked about sort of the state of the country. What are you thinking about? What worries you? What excites you? And what is being reported as a result of this poll is the divide between Democrats and Republicans has never been bigger, which I'm not sure is exactly true given if you know presidential history which I know from a, ca- a category in Jeopardy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, although that is always a good category in history, there has always been great divides between the parties. And that is what makes this Democratic Republic so phenomenal is that people have a choice to be educated and then to make decisions, which is what we want to do on Nothing Personal. What struck me about this poll is that what is separating Democrats and Republicans right now and the different world that they are living in is not based on the economy. It's not based on uh, the issues that maybe in the past took the forefront. What is very telling is COVID and the racial injustice that exists in the country. As you think about the most polarizing issues in our country today, it's hard not to say that racial injustice and COVID are not the two most polarizing issues, much more so than taxes or or climate change, et cetera. So among Democrats polled, 65% said coronavirus is the most important problem we face. The second most important problem was racial injustice with 16%. 
But when you ask Republicans, they would say 32% believe the biggest problem is political division. Only 25% believe coronavirus is the biggest problem. And fewer than 1% of Republicans polled say racial injustice is the problem. And you'd say that makes sense because in theory, people who are Republicans may be less interested in racial issues. And I don't just mean white Republicans. I mean, people of color who are also Republicans who also voted for Trump. They're not as concerned about racial inequality. They're concerned about the economy and opening it up. The other issue that has gotten a lot of attention today that I want to try to quash for you because it's not as extraordinary as people are making it out to be is that Trump left Florida and will not be attending the inauguration as though that is him not wanting to watch Biden take the oath that is disrespectful to the peaceful transition of power. I don't believe any of that. I, when we lose a game, I've seen many teams celebrate on a field that I was on the other side of. I have zero interest in watching someone else celebrate when I am the direct loser. And make no mistake, Trump lost the election. He is the direct loser having served one term. Why would he want to subject himself to watching the winner win, even though I don't believe Biden in his inaugural address will gloat. I think it will be something closer to when he gives a speech, whether it was John Kennedy, ask not what you can do for your country. That was his in his, in his inaugural address. You had Franklin D. Roosevelt. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That was a good one. So Biden will have his own inaugural address. I don't know that he will refer to the past other than saying that, Today, we move forward and we move forward peacefully and we move forward with me as your president. I'm the president for all people, people who voted for me, people who didn't vote for me. I am here to defend the Constitution of the United States. So people are finding reasons like confirmation bias to say that Trump should be at the inauguration. And I just want to point out a few presidents who weren't. John Adams was not in the 1801 inauguration, which followed the 1800 election. He lost that re-election. He served one term and he lost to Thomas Jefferson. Keeping in mind back then in 1800, that was actually the first time that there were, that there was a change from one party to another, the way we're seeing today from Republican to Democrat. Back then, Jefferson was what they called a Democratic Republican and Adams was a Federalist. Adams said, screw this, I'm not going to the inauguration, see you later. John Adams then had a son named John Quincy Adams who was named president. He ran for reelection and lost, only served one term. He lost to Andrew Jackson and he said, screw that. I'm not going to the 1929, to the 1829 inauguration following the 1828 election. John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson hated each other worse than Man U fans hate Liverpool fans, worse than Red Sox fans and Yankees fans. As a matter of fact, the expression, I learned this recently, the expression mudslinging, at least from my reading, of course, listeners and viewers of Nothing Personal can correct me, that is where mudslinging first started. These guys went after each other in a personal way where there's no way they were paying attention to this show. Of course, I wasn't alive, but it was personal. 
Then, of course, Andrew Johnson in 1869 did not go to the inauguration. Ulysses S. Grant was president. Ulysses S. Grant beat him. A couple of things were surrounding that. Andrew Johnson had just been impeached. Articles of impeachment were sent to the Senate. The Senate did not convict him. It was a very willy-nilly impeachment back in those days. As a matter of fact, Congress passed a law that they knew Andrew Johnson had basically violated so they could then put forward very partisan articles of impeachment. There is rumor that Ulysses S. Grant on his way to the inauguration in a carriage would not share that carriage with Andrew Johnson. He said, fine, screw you, I'm leaving. So Trump decided not to go to today's inauguration. We will decide for ourselves over the next four years what we will do in 2024. We will decide what we think Joe Biden, as the 46th president, did to help protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. We will decide as voters whether or not we want to go back to a Republican, stay with a Democrat, go to a different Democrat, whether Trump will run for re-election again. It is all a big wait to see. And what I hope you take from today and watch a bit of inauguration of the inauguration is that you think about sports and you think about what we what I do for a living, what you do for a living. And I want you to think about micro versus macro. I want you to think for me, please, that we are all living in a macro world. What that means is there's a whole world and everything we do in a micro way, our individual actions actually inform what the macro world will look like. And you've heard my story about wine and water. We all need to do our part. We all need to know that our actions each day will tell the story, will spin the yarn that when we look back four years from now, it will be our responsibility to make the change and be the change that all of you and so many have wanted, whether it was in 2016 or in 2020. That concept exists in sports also. If you want to change sports, if you want to change cultures, if you want to be the change that you are claiming you want to be and you want to effectuate, then you've got to start with yourself. Sandy Alderson met the media yesterday after he had to fire his GM of one month. He met the media and said some things that were exceptionally troubling to me because it made it sound as though there was a question the night before about what to do. We spent plenty of time telling you that Sandy Alderson was made aware of what happened two nights ago and did not fire Jared Porter until the next morning. You heard yesterday's show where I said it should have been an immediate fire or you don't release a statement at all, which he had done two nights ago. So he met the media to explain a few things. And what he said was the full breadth of the situation was not apparent 
talking about the night before when he did the statement saying, I've spoken to Jared. We do not condone this. We will look at things further. I explained to you what that meant. And he doubled down by saying the full breadth of the situation was not apparent. I was in sports for 18 years. The full situation of an industry that I was in was always apparent. The question is, how long would I put my head in the sand and pray that no one would ever get caught or pray that I'd be able to talk my way out of anything that would happen within my organization or the sport that I love so much and gave 18 years of my life to? The full breadth of the situation of sexual harassment is apparent to everybody in power in baseball. He then said, I came here, Sandy said, to put a good team on the field and change the culture. Does that mean that the Wilpons, when they had Sandy Alderson as their GM, which they did, does that mean that he was the part of a culture that would have promoted or accepted that type of behavior? We've seen the lawsuits that the Mets had. We've seen the issues that other teams have had and other businesses have had. We've seen the issues that Steve Cohn's businesses have had. When you are part of the culture, you can't change the culture. And make no mistake, I'm not blaming Sandy Alderson for what Jared Porter did. I'm not blaming Sandy Alderson for hiring Jared Porter. There's no way he could have known specifically what Jared did. Therefore, it's just another hire where you hold your breath, cross your fingers, and assume it's all going to be okay in this era of texting and social media where it is a landmine for men, women, children, teenagers, students, Sandy Alderson met the Mets employees and I was thinking about what I would do. He was supposed to meet 400 employees yesterday to give an update, just to have a talk. Instead, he had to meet them and talk about the Jared Porter situation. Talk about, in his mind, explain to Mets employees why they did what they did and how they are going to be the change that they have claimed they want to be. How the Mets organization will be the model organization When you run a big company, you and I both know this, there is simply no way to know what every one of your employees is doing every minute of the day. There's just no way. There's ways that we try by blocking certain websites, by trying to create efficiencies in the company, by doing standard company cell phones and being able to see cell phone activity but there is no way to know what your team is doing when they have a contingent on the road, what your salespeople are doing when they go on sales calls, what your interns are doing when they go out on a Friday night. I lost a lot of sleep. It's hard to say you lose sleep when you don't. Thinking about how to react in a situation where I've lived my life trying to be proactive and not reactive. When you run a sports team, you can be nothing except reactive. And we've had scores of instances 
where teams have been reactive and I have been critical of those reactions. Understand the nuance. When I'm critical of a reaction, I'm not critical that there was a reaction. I'm critical about what the reaction was. And I'm critical when teams say they're going to change from being reactionary to being proactive. How can you be proactive if you are Sandy Alderson and you go through the hiring process and you call references, you speak to people in the industry, you speak to people with whom Jared Porter worked, you speak to the commissioner's office, you speak to Theo, and it's thumbs up across the board, not hiding a conspiracy, not covering up the fact that Jared Porter was a serial, in theory, texter and harasser. No, you can only go on the information that you receive and you make the best decision you can. You don't live with Jared Porter before you hire him, you interview him, you speak to references, you bring him on and you bring him on because he's at the suggestion of someone who you also have a relationship with who you trust. But does anyone actually know anybody else? Is it possible Theo worked with Jared and didn't know the way Jared was? It 100% is. As much time as I spent with people and people spent with me when I ran a team for those 18 years, no one really knows what goes on behind closed doors. No one knows what goes on when you're in a meeting and someone's on their phone because that's every day. You don't know if they're talking to a source. You don't know anything. You just know they're on a phone. Where I think the Mets go forward from here is they make an attempt, an attempt, which is what Sandy said. We're going to make an attempt as we move forward in hiring to be more cognizant, to ask more questions. It's not going to work. Imagine being interviewed and the prospective employer says to you, excuse me, David, is there anything we should know? No, I'm going to work hard, pay me my money, and I will help you make money. I've got to take that at its word, right? Am I supposed to know to ask, has there ever been a time that you texted a reporter 62 times and sent a picture of a penis? Has there ever been? That's not on my list of interview questions when I'm interviewing people. We do background checks. We check social media. No doubt about that. If someone is stupid enough to put on social media something that will cost them from getting a job, which is what I talk to my college age kids and young adult children about, social media doesn't go away. When you're applying for a job in baseball or any business, they're looking at your social media and everything you've posted since you were a kid. So the Mets have to move forward and they're asking themselves, how do we move forward? Second year in a row, they hired a manager, general manager who didn't get to manage or general manage a game. One way to move forward would be to sign a top free agent, the way Steve Cohen has been saying. When he tweeted, I'm going to ask Jared Porter what's happening. And I told you on nothing personal is the biggest crap I ever heard. Well, guess what? The Mets moved forward and they signed the top free agent in the market on the position player side. They realized that George Springer 
would be the perfect antidote to this negative press and help that team get over the hump. And they said, you know what? We want you, George. We will go to six years and we will go to $125 million. You win. You got the six years. And guess what? Oh, Canada. George Springer is going to be a Toronto Blue Jay. Because what George Springer did when the Mets said, we'll go to six years and we'll go to 125, George Springer and his agency called Toronto and said, hey, I've got an offer from the Mets that I'm about to take. If you want me to be a Blue Jay, which you claim you want, and boy, was I impressed with you guys. If you really want me to sign, you go six years, you go $150 million. That makes up for the tax differences. And to those people tweeting at me that there are no tax differences between Canada and New York or California, you are 100% wrong. Literally, I was knee deep in Canadian taxes and still am because there is still a company that has a tiny toehold in Canada because the partnership of the Marlins which was formerly the partnership of the Expos, has still not folded. That partnership is still open. I'm still the president of a company. Doesn't own the Marlins franchise anymore, but it has not been dissolved yet. I assure you that I have spent more time going through tax analysis with players of Florida versus New York, Florida versus Canada, Florida versus California. George Springer calls Toronto and says, give me 150 and I'm yours. Toronto and Rogers Communications, a $29 billion company, said, I've got an idea. Let's bring George Springer on to play center field. Let's get the best outfield we can in baseball. Combine it with our great young position players, including Vladimir Guerrero and Biggio. And I was going to say Biggio and Bagwell. Those are the fathers. It's Biggio and, uh, and Guerrero. And there's a third. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Coca. Damn it. In any case, and I don't mean Griffin Conan because he's now Marlon. And they said, what we are going to do is we are going to take, it's Bo Bichette, I know. Did I, oh, it's Bichette, Biggio, and Guerrero. Yes, thank you. Dante Bichette's son. Thank you, Coca. They've got a great core of young position players. They're now adding a veteran, the top center fielder, who I predicted would go to the Mets, not the Blue Jays. I got that way to see wrong. They signed the top pitcher in the free agent market last year in Ryu. And they are now in a window where they are going to compete again for the AL East title. The Red Sox have not caught them. The Rays are going to be hurt by losing Morton. The Yankees have done nothing to improve themselves this year. Corey Kluber and DJ LeMay, who do not count. When you re-sign your own free agent, you have not gotten better. You've simply not gotten worse. If the Blue Jays actually get one or two more pitchers, I'd settle for one. They could easily be the favorite in the American League East. And the Yankees are simply despondent. They couldn't overpay because they've got their own players to pay and they just overpaid LeMahieu. They've got Stanton and they're going to have to worry about Judge. They just signed Garrett Cole. You can't sign every free agent every year, but the Yankees have not managed to get to a World Series since 2009 with all the money they've spent. It's been a much longer time since the Blue Jays and that great run in the early 90s. The Blue Jays 
had another great run later. Remember we talk about cycles, Coca, where teams go up, they go down. Some teams are building, some teams are rebuilding. It's why I don't blame the Indians for getting rid of Lindor. Their window is closed and they're going to now build up and get another open window. The Blue Jays believe their window is opening now, so they went after Springer and got him. Did Springer suffer for all of you people who said, oh, I'm never going to sign an Astros guy. Oh, Springer's only good because he heard the cans. Owners don't care about banging trash cans. They don't like Jim Crane, no doubt about it, but they don't care. They want every advantage possible. And do you think they're not going to sign George Springer because he was implicated or part of possible sign stealing? You know who else doesn't care? Fans. Blue Jays fans are over the moon and Mets fans are saying, wait a minute, Steve. I thought you said you were going to spend. I thought you said that we were going to win a World Series in three to five years. Well, listen, Mets fans, you can't sign every free agent. They traded for Lindor. They've got to sign him long-term. They've got Pete Alonso to think about signing. They got Michael Conforto to think about signing. They have DeGrom. I think Bauer is a necessary sign for the Mets, as a matter of fact. And without getting Springer, I think it makes sense to get Bauer. But to overpay for Springer and give him that sixth year. And don't confuse what the Yankees did by giving six years to LeMahieu. Remember, the LeMahieu deal was a much lower average annual value at only $15 million a year than he would have gotten he would have been a 20 to $22 million player, but the Yankees wanted to spread it out. The Blue Jays didn't spread anything out. He's getting 25 million a year for six years, full rack rate. For all of you people in Toronto, congrats. But why don't you go to games and acknowledge that your corporate ownership is not sitting on its pockets and on its profits as a corporation? that they are willing to take advantage of the window that's open, which many teams do. We did it. We thought we had an open window with Stanton. So we brought in a bunch of free agents. We thought we had a great open window with Yelich Ozuna and Stanton. So we signed a free agent pitcher to back up Jose and got crucified because he ended up sucking. Don't be angry at your team for trying and then failing because we all have Monday morning quarterback 2020 hindsight. Remember the feeling you have today. And Mets fans, remember the feeling that you have today versus what you had when they traded for Lindor. Or what will you will feel when they get another free agent because every year there's always the next guy. So come on, George Springer is an overpay. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the Blue Jays. Will it be enough to win the American League East? Wait to see. I'm not giving you my wait to see yet because we're not doing predictions. When we come back, we're going to go to break now, but please stick around because we're going to review a brand new movie and we are going to get to the return of Patrick Mahomes this weekend and how significant a decision that is for the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs and CBS. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. 
Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramps business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramps software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David. Today is January 20th. Today is the day that the 46th president of the United States takes office. We are in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic that will not go away. It is at its height. People are dying at record numbers. We've lost 400,000 living souls to coronavirus. Deny it all you want. For those of you who have chills and back pain and sore throat and fever, I understand the concern that you may have COVID. I'm with you. Believe me, I feel the same way right now. Hollywood has had to adjust. Businesses have had to adjust. Advertising agencies have had to adjust. There is a new world out there. It is the world of COVID. And then when everyone is vaccinated, it will be the world of post-COVID. I don't know how the world of post-COVID will look, but I do know that the show must go on. You must find a way to keep doing your job. In Hollywood, the job is to make movies. A new movie was just released. It's called Locked Down. Locked Down is a movie about a man and a woman played by Anne Hathaway and the Academy Award winner from 12 Years a Slave. You may know him as Kira Knightley's husband in Love Actually. And Coca did not properly prepare me. And I, his name is Chiwetel Ejiofor. And excuse me if I absolutely mispronounced your name. You are a wonderful Oscar-winning actor. The movie is about two people in lockdown in London whose relationship has ended, but they can't leave because they're locked down. 
It's a movie about how people can live together lockdown, what happens during a lockdown. And all of a sudden it turns in to a heist movie where together they decide to steal something from Harrods department store. And then it ends with either a happily ever after or not happily ever after. It's the worst heist movie of all time. What is telling about this movie is that why they needed it to be a heist movie, I don't know. It very easily could have been a movie about relationships. And it reminded me of a movie with Miles Teller and another actress where they were stuck and they were snowed in. And I want to say it was called the two day date or the 48 hour date. Coca, you may have seen it. It's it's uh, they basically are stuck together after a while. Oh, a two night stand. Yes. And that was from Coca, folks. It just came to me. A movie called Two Night Stand, where they were stuck together. I may have reviewed it on Nothing Personal. This was a two-week stand, except it was not about sex. It was about how people are reacting to COVID. And Hollywood is taking the time to try to dig in and dive in to what the mental toll is on all of us. And we talk about therapy a lot on this show. We talk about the mental toll. It is been a difficult year. We are almost a year into COVID. On March 11th will be a year since Rudy Gobert tested positive and the sports world shut down. A year ago, right now, right now, January 20th, COVID was something that was happening in China. There may have been one case in the U.S. We were being told by our elected officials, we're fine. We got 15 cases. They're all better. Nothing to worry about. I'm thankful for Hollywood for finding a way to film over 18 days in London, a movie with no extras, by the way. Not allowed because of COVID. Everyone in that movie who is, quote unquote, an extra was part of the production team, let's say. Lockdown is a mediocre movie, but an important one to see because it will inform you that you are normal, that the things in your mind are right, that the anxiety you feel, that the anger, the frustration, the concern, the worry, the uncertainty, it's all normal. And the best thing about being normal is that there is comfort in knowing that you're not alone in the problems that you have. It's called lockdown. All right, Coca, nothing personal word of the day. You likey? Do you? I hope you do. Because we won again. We are now eight and 10. By the way, it's the nothing personal pick of the day, not the word of the day. The nothing personal pick of the day was the Utah Jazz crushing Stan Van Gundy and the Pelicans. Not much talk about Zion Williamson these days. The NBA has got to find a way to get them into the playoffs. We had some wait to sees go back on previous shows about the Pelicans and what that, what this season would be like the sophomore jinx and issues that could happen with Zion. The jazz one were eight and 10. I'm a little stubborn. I'm going back to the warriors. I am a war Lieber, a war Lieber, and I'm a Steph Lieber. They're only favored by one over the Tim Duncanless. San Antonio Spurs. I like the Warriors minus one as we try to crawl out of our 2021 hole. Okay. I told you I'd quickly mention Kyrie Irving. And I don't want to say, because Coca yells at me after the show, that I say I'm going to mention something that I don't. I'm going to do a segment on this tomorrow, I think. 
We'll see what happens. But Kyrie Irving is back with the Nets. Kyrie Irving met the media, and it was far, far from interesting to me because he just said, I needed a pause. I took a pause. You don't have that right. Hey, I want you to go to your job today and say, I take a pause. I'm not going to show up. You don't have to pay me if you don't want, but I'm, I'm going to pause. It's a pause. What if I did that now? Thank you for downloading and subscribing. Nothing personal. I'm going to take a pause. I'm pausing. Still pausing. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow, maybe. Kyrie's back with the Nets. Good luck to the big three. All right. I want to end the show talking about Pat Mahomes. Can't get enough of this conversation or this subject. Two things happened yesterday of note with Pat Mahomes. Number one, Andy Reid, who may go down as the greatest coach in history if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl again. First coach to bring a team to the AFC Championship three straight years, hosting an AFC Championship. He's already won a Super Bowl, may win his second. Andy Reid acknowledged that Pat Mahomes, after he was taken out of the game and put into the concussion protocol, if there had not been a concussion protocol, which there wasn't back in the day, he would have been right back in the game. He stumbled, he fell, but then he was okay. Brett Favre gave an interview, the Iron Man of football, I think he played in like 350 straight games, something unbelievable. He talks about the number of times that he got hit in the head and went back to play because he could count to 10 forwards. And they said, great, get out there. He's competitive. He wanted to get out there. Take a little tour, get yourself out there. Brett Favre said, this is a test for the National Football League. What will they do with Pat Mahomes? Are they going to follow the rule of law of the new concussion protocol? You know who's watching this? I told you broadcast networks are. I told you front offices are. But what about lawyers? They're watching too. There's so many concussion lawsuits going on with people who've gotten concussions and then later in life have become, suffered from dementia, suffered from a syndrome where their brain has been bashed in so much that they've committed suicide. All sorts of issues have come. And Andy Reid acknowledging, yeah, we didn't care about that. Lawyers are licking their lips. They're getting proof one quote at a time that the NFL knew that they were endangering their players, but they were continuing to have them play in the name of money. So what the Chiefs did yesterday, they both acknowledged what would have happened before, but then Andy Reid said, he's in the protocol. It's out of my hands. We expect and hope that he'll practice today, Wednesday, January 20th, and be ready to go on Sunday, January 24th. But it is up to the doctors because the first thing the NFL did when they started the concussion protocol is they took the decision-making out of the team's hands because they recognized the team's and front offices may not have the best interests of the player in mind. I was thinking back to situations where I didn't have the best interests of a player in mind because I just wanted that pitcher to play. And it, I am guilty of that. But here's where I drew the line. I was guilty of it 
when there was a risk of injury to a player, our player, and it was a risk of injury to a player that was not life or death. It was performance related, elbow, shoulder, knee, back, Achilles, not life or death. And I based those decisions on whether or not the player was signed long-term or whether or not we were trading the player or getting rid of the player at the end of a particular season. And I would push our team doctors to allow players to play. And I would talk to the players saying, if you can pitch through this, do it. We're going to keep throwing you out there until you can't help us win anymore. I would not screw around with a concussion even 18 years ago. And the reason it would be great for me to stand on my high horse and tell you that I wouldn't screw around with a concussion because I cared about the player's future. The reason I didn't screw around with concussions is when you have a concussion, you cannot be an effective player. It has nothing to do with convincing me that you want to play or me convincing you to play. The reality is you can't be effective. When you are a pitcher and you've got elbow soreness, we can tell with your bullpen, with your warm-up, whether or not you're going to be effective because we look at velocity, we look at command, and then we'll make a decision, can you help us win that particular day, that particular game? With a concussion, it is almost guaranteed that you will not be able to help us. It's not like having a hangover. We had plenty of players pitch with hangovers. It's not like pitching while you're stoned. Plenty of players get stoned. It's about when your head is clogged from a concussion. That's not something that resembles drinking or drugs or an elbow ligament injury. It literally inhibits your ability to focus. It inhibits your ability to make proper decisions. It inhibits your ability to function. If Patrick Mahomes has a concussion, protocol or no protocol, wanting him to play the AFC championship or not, including people in the media (laughs) saying they should delay the AFC championship until he can play, absurd, never going to happen. Patrick Mahomes will let us know whether he can play and we're going to be able to see it because when you're the quarterback, I'm not talking about an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman who with a concussion can get out there and rush the quarterback or stop people from rushing his quarterback. A quarterback needs to read defenses. A quarterback needs to make decisions, audibles on the line of scrimmage. The Chiefs are better off with Chad Henney than they are with Patrick Mahomes if Patrick Mahomes is cloudy with a chance of meatballs. But wait to see. Patrick Mahomes will be the starter in the AFC Championship game on Sunday. That is an official wait to see, Coca, because he's going to practice today and play on Sunday. Will he be effective? That we will wait to see. Will the Bills be able to beat the Chiefs? Waiting for my pick on Friday. But in the meantime, having Patrick Mahomes start the AFC championship game, it's good for everybody. Patrick, get out there because this is just business. It's nothing personal.